0: This episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you by Lloyds Bank. With their Club Lloyds Current account, you can now get 12 months of Disney Plus as your lifestyle benefit. To know me is to know that I love watching things on TV, so I am so excited to tell you about this. You might think that Disney Plus is just for Disney films, and yes, it's great for all of them. We must have watched Disney's Frozen at least 100 times by now. But it's so much more than that. With Disney+, Plus, there is endless entertainment with exclusive originals, brand new series, blockbuster movies. And it's just one of the great benefits that you can now get with a Club Lloyd's account. I highly recommend watching The Bear if you haven't seen it yet. It's all about a talented chef who's presented with the challenge of overhauling his family sandwich shop. Season two is coming soon and I can't wait. Lloyds Bank are taking care of not only your banking needs, but entertainment too. Visit lloydsbank.com forward slash Club Lloyds to find out more. £3 monthly fee is charged to maintain the Club Lloyds account, but waived each month that you pay in £2,000 or more. UK residents 18 and over, Disney Plus subscription required. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to Lloyds Bank. Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. The question is, what would you choose as your last meal? Hi, I hope you're all very well. I'm really excited about today's episode because I feel like it's a little bit different somehow. To set the scene, a few years ago I had Laura Jackson on the podcast and she talked about a very delicious bean dish that she makes quite often. And I did think at the time how delicious it sounded and I even recreated it to share on our socials and it's also on our website. And it's sort of similar in theory to a risotto, but it's of course not a risotto at all because it's made with beans and not rice, but the concept is the same and it's quick and easy and very delicious. And then a few months later, I got a message from Amelia saying that she was a regular listener to the podcast and that that particular episode and that particular dish had really inspired her to start her own business, selling delicious beans in the form of her company, Bold Bean Coke. And I just thought that was so amazing and made me so happy to hear that someone had been inspired from listening to the podcast, that I've been following Amelia ever since. And she's honestly just brilliant. She's so hardworking. The business she's created is great. The beans, if you haven't tasted them, they really are incredibly good. And she's also just a really nice person. And I love seeing nice people doing well. So it was a complete pleasure to have Amelia on the podcast and to talk to someone who's still in the thick of it. If you've ever started a business, you'll know how hard those first few years are in particular. And she's done so well. She's doing so well. And I loved hearing her story. Bold Bean are also about to release their first cookbook, which is very exciting. And it's got recipes from the likes of Anna Jones, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, many more. And it honestly just looks great I think it might have come out by the time you listen to this or it's coming out this week and I'll put all the details in the show notes that's more than enough from me for now I do hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you in partnership with Lloyds Bank thank you very much for listening my guest today is Amelia Christie Miller Amelia is the founder of The Bold Bean Co. And she's on a mission to make us all obsessed with beans by bringing us the best of beans. She launched the business officially in 2021 following what she describes a bean epiphany in Spain when she decided that the UK both needed and deserved better beans. Amelia is also passionate about sustainability and sees beans as the future of food. Now listed in Selfridges, Waitrose and Planet Organic, as well as numerous independent shops and online outlets, Bold Beans are taking the food world by storm. Through targeting and working with influential chefs, cooks, and food writers, they're creating a community of bean lovers who are passionate about sharing their products. Supporters include Ottolenghi, Mob, Melissa Hemsley, Laura Jackson, and Joe Woodhouse. And Sheila Dillon herself interviewed Amelia on Radio 4's The Food Programme as part of a two-episode special on beans. On top of all of this, Bold Bean are about to release their first cookbook. Welcome, Amelia! Thank
1: you for having me. This is very surreal to be on one of my favourite podcasts. I'm so
0: excited to have you on Desert Island Dishes. And I think in particular too often we have a culture of celebrating the end result of success, but I'm so impressed with what you're doing and what you've already built. And I think it's more and more important to recognise that the journey is the thing to be celebrated. So I'm really looking forward to chatting and just very happy to have you. Thank you. Before we get on to all things beans, how do you feel at the idea of being sent to a desert island?
1: I love my own space, so I think I'll be very happy for a good Three months and then I'll probably go a bit crazy after that but at least I'll be by myself going crazy Yeah, no one to judge (laughs) three months is quite good going I thought you were going to say like three hours
0: or something but three months I think I could do three months yeah wow okay we can arrange it (laughs) I think there are lots of people in general and definitely a lot of people who listen to this podcast who dream about setting up their own business maybe they have a business idea and they don't know where to start in turning that dream into a reality so I think the chance to hear from you as you're right in the thick of it is really brilliant. And I've obviously got a lot of questions for you. But if anyone's listening, who's in that particular position, what's your number
1: one piece of advice to them? I think to give yourself the brain space to truly imagine what that idea could be. I think that I was very committed in my previous role and very passionate about what I did and only when I lost that passion and I almost reached, like, rock bottom of what am I doing was the ability to kind of dream about what I was to do next and it came to me then. And I think that for a lot of people, if you commit to giving yourself that brain space to think about what you want to do, you will make it happen and it will come to you. You've just got to almost give yourself that time. Mm,
0: That's really good advice. I think they say that about writers. Um, You can't just spend your whole day writing. You sort of, you need to timetable in time to just think and do nothing, which seems like a strange concept, but I think that's very good advice. Let's dive straight into the first desert island dish. And that's a dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: So my grandmother was an amazing um, chef and home cook, and she used to make these breaded sausages. They they were wool sausages and you would squeeze them out of the skins and roll them in breadcrumbs and fry them and actually serve it with homemade applesauce and mash and greens and it was such a treat because essentially it's it's fried food but it felt like really refined because granny was doing it and it always reminds me of kind of growing up and her coming to stay and cooking those for us
0: oh that sounds amazing so kind of like a scotch egg but without the
1: egg in the middle yeah but i mean essential to have with the applesauce. i really miss that dish and you know even thinking of it for this made me realize i've got to recreate it yes you do maybe served on a bed of beans genius replace the, the potato <laughs> mash for bean mash
0: yes do it amelia so you worked as a private chef during university holidays spending summers in majorca and winter weekends in the scottish highlands i know firsthand that that is very hard work did you ever think that you wanted to go into cooking professionally because i know you always wanted to work within the field of food but did
1: you ever think that might be as a chef so both my aunts are chefs and i think i saw the toll that can take on both your lifestyle but also almost your love of food If you, particularly if you move into the catering side my aunt was a caterer and you know because you're churning out dishes en masse the creative part which is why people fall in love with food can get lost and you mm. almost become a machine and I recognized that I didn't want that um, around the same time I did some work experience at Jamie Oliver's and I realized even working with people who love food means that your procrastination, your tea time chat is all about the favourite restaurant or what they cook for dinner. And I realised I just needed to be around people that love food. Mm, That's so
0: interesting because I ask this question a lot, whether people are scared to go and work in food, because if that's their biggest passion, turning it into your job can be quite a scary thing. And some people, you know, absolutely not. It hasn't dented their passion at all. And then some people very much like your aunt, it does just become a job, and the thing that you loved about it the most gets diminished a bit. But I, so I wonder if it's one of those things where, if you'd been surrounded by the the former, and not the latter maybe your viewpoint would have been different it's just one of those things
1: definitely i think you're always influenced my dad was even like i I don't think you should do it i was kind of guided in that way but i think that you know for anyone who works in a space which is linked to their passion it does it does transform your day-to-day so even being linked to food in whatever capacity works
0: Mm. Did you grow up dreaming about being an entrepreneur and running your own business? Because I think there are two types of people. Like the first kind, that's just all they've ever known and all they've ever dreamt about is working for themselves and they don't know what form that will take, but they're going to have their own business. And then I think the latter is the kind of person who sees an opportunity, they believe that that business needs to exist, and if it's not going to happen any other way, they're going to pick up the mantle and they'll be the one to make it happen.
1: Which one do you think you are? Oh, that's really hard because when I was when I was at uni, I used to listen to podcasts with, like, Pippa Murray, who set up Pippa Nut, and hearing her journey really early on, I was always so inspired by entrepreneurs in the food and drink space specifically and i love brands i find brands have so much power to change people's eating habits and can really make a difference um but when it came to beans i realized that it was something that i felt like i needed to do i haven't never glamorized the idea of being an entrepreneur um i think that it just comes part and parcel of also being able to control what you do day to day and at my previous role i was working for a food tech startup that was building transparency into the supply chain, I couldn't control the outcome of the business because I Mm. wasn't in charge. So I suppose part of that is like a control freak element because Mm. I wanted to be able to change my path myself rather than rely on those above me.
0: Yeah, it can be very frustrating because you can kind of see the path ahead and you can see what someone else should be doing, but then they don't action it. And I guess that can be very frustrating. Yeah, demotivating let's talk about the second desert island dish and that's the first dish that you
1: learned to cook so uh, my mum is originally a kiwi um, and there is a famous cookbook in New Zealand called Edmund's cookbook mm. it's called sure to so any kiwi will know it it's um it was actually created by a baking powder brand as like a way to sell more products but mm. it, it has become in sync with kiwi culture food culture and one of the first recipe in the biscuit section is an Afghan biscuit, and it's essentially cocoa powder, butter, very simple biscuit base with cornflakes in it. So it's really crunchy. And then you top it with chocolate icing and a walnut. And they are so good. And because at home we often didn't have. Chocolate lying around and things like that. I used to just have to make my own sweet treats. And that was one we'd always have cocoa powder. We wouldn't have chocolate. It was one I could do without um chocolate in the house. That's quite a good tip, actually, not to have
0: chocolate, but your children are allowed to have it if they do the baking. Exactly. I'm gonna use that one immediately. Also, isn't that amazing that there was a branded product book which not only had become part of the cultural language, but to then
1: think about what you're now doing with the beans in the book definitely like, definitely i think like brand servicing more than just selling their product has such a role to play in building loyalty and actually getting under the skin of people who are buying their products yeah and
0: it's something that you grew up with and have sort of taken on without even really yeah,
1: realizing I haven't, it I haven't drawn that link but Ooh, love that <laughs>
0: After university, you went straight into a job in sales and business development at the bread factory before joining food chain in marketing. So like we said, both very food focused. And I think it's always really interesting to think about what skills you picked up from almost like a a former career to what you're doing now. Do you think that time was really valuable or could you
1: have gone straight into starting your own business without having done those roles? That time was essential because I was working with amazing chefs in restaurants. I was speaking to chefs every day and hearing about their new menu and how they were sourcing and what they cared about. And through that, through osmosis, I essentially learned a lot around the issues that were facing our food system and you know the food trends that are kind of inspiring chefs. And that's how I came to learn a lot about beans and. I saw the most credible and interesting chefs championing them, so absolutely essential Mm. in me starting the business.
0: And is that what sparked your interest in sustainability, or had you always been interested in, in that
1: as an area? My passion was food, and I think the more you love food, the more interested you are in sustainability, because if you fast forward to 100 years' time in a world where we're drinking fuel, it's just too depressing. So um, I think that anyone who loves food naturally becomes interested in sustainability. Mm. I think I read in one of
0: the interviews when I was researching this was that you say that scientists are predicting that at the current rate, we only have 60 harvests left before we run out of topsoil, which
1: is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that fact is it, it reached headlines, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and now it's, you know, it's may not be 60, it might be 70. But the matter of fact is, it's a really scary fact that people don't link to the rest of the environment, like global warming. It's It's related, but it is independent as something that is really gonna affect us that we're not focusing on enough.
0: Mm, It's really scary. Let's pause there and talk about the third Desert Island dish and that's the best dish you've ever eaten.
1: Okay, so one of the chefs I worked with at Food Chain was a guy called Tobin XL and he had worked for a year as a forager in Kent. He lives in Kent, which is obviously the larder of of Mm. England. And he worked as a forager and learnt so much about all of the different plants. Um, But he was an incredible chef. He had this six-seat supper club where he would invite six people to come to his cottage and he'd host you as if you were his dinner party guest. (gasps) And it was just six of us. We'd been camping the night before, so we hiked there from the camp spot and... Had this 20 course meal of, oh my God, it was so incredible. Even the duck was from his neighbor, but then all of these foraged ingredients that I can't even name now, they were so bizarre and the flavors that I tasted. Uh, he had this amazing uh, sommelier from London Shelco come down and do wine pairing. And we were in his garden in the middle of summer and just the passion he had for the produce and also our disconnect from foraged ingredients so this is how we used to eat, but we've lost our foraging culture. So he's like, bring that all back. But also the next morning after cooking us like a really lovely breakfast in his kitchen, he took us on a foraging walk and just showed us all of the things we can eat. It, it was so many different things. And it was so inspiring to just see how much around us is edible and how much we've lost that. And obviously there's a lot of downsides to foraging in case you kill yourself. Yeah, the, but... the mushrooms are a bit alarming, aren't they? Definitely. But I think that I really hope that we build that back into our food culture and a way for us to reconnect with nature. Mm. Do you think we can? I think we can. I think it's going to take relearning these ancient traditions of foraging. But um, imagine if they taught it in schools, for example, wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be such a great way, you know, for mindfulness, there'd be so many benefits to teaching people to forage. You know, I would love to be a, a forager, I don't back myself enough at the moment, but <laughs> it would be so such a cool skill to have.
0: The story goes that you spent what you describe as an eye-opening and bean-eating year in Spain. What were you doing in Spain? Tell us a little bit about the moment
1: that you decided this would be a good business opportunity. So I didn't come to the idea of launching a business in Spain, but I was an Erasmus student um, and I didn't have many friends <laughs> because <laughs> it's hard to make friends in a foreign city. I really nourished my, my cooking passion and would go to all of the markets and get all of these ingredients and I remember I had Nigel Slater's little eat um, cookbook I'd been given it for Christmas and he specified getting this heirloom variety of bean called the Houdion de la Granja which is a kind of this heirloom butter bean which is our queen butter bean same variety Um, and I bought it and was like okay well I've got to do it Nigel says I've got to do it and then I was hungover and I hadn't been shopping and I'd bought that for something. I was going to use it at some point. And I was like, oh, I really can't be bothered to go shopping. So I grabbed the jar and ate one straight from it. And I distinctly remember kind of closing my eyes and tasting it properly and being like, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe I've never tasted such a good bean. And obviously I just went back for more. And I think that was the first moment I realised beans could be delicious, but then you know, so many other parts of my journey led to me launching Bold Bean Co. It was just, that was the moment when it kind of, my perception changed. Mm, That's so interesting.
0: And love that Nigel was the spark for it all. So what did that journey then look like? What was the line between tasting the bean and realising, you know, you'd made
1: this amazing discovery to then actually thinking Maybe there's a business. So when I was working at Food Chain, I was very much kind of under learning a lot about the food system issues such as soil health, food security, um, and obviously the need to reduce meat. Everyone knows how much we want to do that, particularly someone who is an omnivore. I found that there weren't enough options for me that got me really excited in the kitchen. Um, So it was really learning about those issues and how with soil health, for example beans can fix nitrates into the soil to naturally fertilize them so we don't need to rely on chemical fertilizers. That ignited something so exciting in me like this is an amazing solution. Then it was obviously seeing all of the chefs use beans in really inspiring ways on their menus kind of elevating them and then kind of recognizing how great they are in everyday cooking because obviously taking that from a cool restaurant, Lyle's Duck Soup, to your kitchen is very different. And obviously, as you know, you were part of that journey because I was listening to Laura Jackson's podcast. I've listened to, obviously, all your podcasts. (laughs) Um, And she was talking about how she used beans as a risotto base. And that just really opened my eyes into how beans can be every day because I think it's all very well doing a beautiful Coco de Pampel broth in a stunning restaurant, but actually bring that to the everyday consumer is a different story. Mm. And I think what that binotto sort of thing triggered in me was this ability that for beans to be so versatile. And I tried it and it blew me away in how, how much you can do with a bean. And that was another really fundamental. So I have to thank you and Laura mm. for that. That <laughs> makes me so happy
0: to hear that. So at that point... It was
1: all sort of ruminating, but you hadn't started the business yet. Exactly. I was like, okay, I need to make people obsessed with beans. They're so good for our environment. I know that beans can be really good, but I was also thinking, should I be creating a more of a, like a ready to go product that's like easier for people to consume? But then I kind of boiled it down to actually, you know, let's start with educating on how beans can taste really beautiful in their pure ingredient form and then move on to that in time. I was made redundant from my previous job because we worked with restaurants and COVID hit. But that was amazing for me because I had to move home with my parents and I was given those months of nothing to do but work on Bold Bean and I was able to interview people because they were at home on furlough mm. and things like that. And I really feel fortunate for that coming at that time because it made it a reality for me I was given that precious time to work on the business yeah
0: often also I think being made redundant is it can be very scary but actually not having to make the decision to walk away from something is a blessing as well because that's a very difficult decision to make and not having to make it is (laughs)
1: Definitely. I think that risk element of starting your own business, I feel like a bit of a fraud because the risk was taken away because you had to. I almost, it was that or look for another job. So I had to do it, which is great. And what
0: did all your friends and family say when you declared that this is what you wanted to do? Was it the kind of idea where
1: everyone was immediately on board or God, did, no. did anyone, what did no, they think? No, okay. <laughs> For example, my brother, my brother's always said, you know, any dietary requirements, he's like, I love everything other than red kidney beans. That was like, he's like, I hey, hate, I hate beans. And that, it was kind of a bit of a, jo- a joke, you know, my dietary requirement is no red kidney beans. <laughs> and he's like, out of all of the things you could launch, you launch a bean business. And I was recognising <laughs> it because I was working before with all these cool, sexy restaurants. And I used to post about them. People were like, oh, oh and I was like so I'm setting up my own business they'll be like oh my god it's so exciting what is it like I don't know truffle oil or something really high end and, and I was like beans and I loved their reaction because it was just like devastation <laughs> but I saw that as like this is an opportunity because it put a fire in my belly to change their mind
0: yeah they must be so proud and impressed that really resonates with me because um, in a former life I had a Food startup, and it was banana-based, and half of my family hate bananas, mm. and it was the same thing. They were like of all the things you could have done, you created a product that we a hate and b like we have to talk about bananas all the time, and yeah, they couldn't believe it. Let's pause there and talk about the fourth desert island dish, Amelia. What is your favourite sandwich?
1: Oh, okay, this is quite an easy one for me. Okay. Um, it's coronation chickpea. <gasps> um, I love Max's sandwich shop in um, Crouch End and I was bought his book and I was really inspired by the fact that he said sandwiches always need something crunchy. Mm. Um, so as an essential topping for the coronation chickpeas, so you make a classic coronation sauce, add queen chickpeas instead. We I like the queen chickpeas because they've got big texture. So any big chickpea you can find. Um, and then at fresh iceberg lettuce with Bombay mix on top. And the Bombay mix adds this really Ooh. crunchy but very complimentary flavour to the sandwich. And then I'm all for uh, for Catcher sandwich because it's obviously got that soft, chewy kind of texture. Yeah. I think he's got five elements, hasn't he,
0: that a sandwich needs, like sour, sweet, hot, cold, crunchy and soft, I think. Yeah, he's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense. Like when you think about your favorite sandwich, the reason it's so delicious and like keeps you coming back for more is because of that. And yeah, the Bombay mix instead of crisps is genius. I need to try that. Got to. You've described running a startup as akin to being in a toxic relationship. Even if it treats you badly, you're so invested in it and you love it so much that you've just got to keep going. Tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that, because I think it's a very good analogy.
1: I think it reflects often how personal your relationship with the business is compared to what people see on the outside. Mm. And I think with startups, so many people will look at you'll start and be like, that's never going to work. It's not worth your time, but it's what you believe. And it's a bit like love and romance. And obviously we do not promote toxic relationships. We all know they're not good, but I think that it's that same idea of persevering through hard times by running a business with this goal in mind. And maybe if you're in a toxic relationship, you're like, he'll be nice one day and, you know, take me out for dinner or whatever <laughs> and then but in ours in with a business sense you're like that end goal is what you strive towards and i i heard recently with, with a startup it's really about the journey that's the fun part and when you yeah. get to the top it's actually not that fun mm. um and that really gave me a sense of moment to reflect on on this time period because it is really hard, but of course it is really fun because everything's new and everything's exciting. And when you hear one customer love your product, you just get filled up to the brim. And actually that is the joy of starting a business. It's not getting a big payout. And, you know, I'm I'm not in this because I'm going to be a millionaire. I would have definitely gone into, I don't know, AI tech if I wanted that. I'm in it because I love it. And I know that that is, that is a huge driver of doing the everyday. Mm, I think you're so right.
0: And I also have only really recently fully understood what people mean about the journey versus the end result, like having spoken to some very successful people who sell their companies for a lot of money. And and then they go on to found something else, which tells you everything you need to know. And yeah, if you're not enjoying the day-to-day, obviously it's hard. Obviously there's a lot of sacrifices involved, but that's the bit that really matters. So yeah, it's really interesting to think of it like that. So tell us, if you can, what the steps were between having the idea, speaking to all the different people, sounding them out, and then actually that moment that you first held
1: a jar of beans in your hand. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it was a year and a half before launch, um, and alongside searching for suppliers. I was really just trying to find the most delicious bean I could find. I was hunting down that variety, which is now our queen butter bean. Um, and so first of all, I reached out to all of these different suppliers, trying to find the best tasting and did all these taste tests and, um, came to the best kind of bean and the best recipe to complement the beans. So the soaking time, the cooking time, all of those elements that was stage one. And then I, alongside that, I was working on the brand. And because I was given this precious time where of COVID and waiting for things to happen, I really spent a long time thinking about the brand. And what was actually hilarious is that I originally thought the opportunity was with um, the younger like demographic, mm-hmm. um, so Gen Z, and was like, they're all going plant-based and they'll be more interested in it. So I'll make it like really cool. And I like, originally called it Humble. The Humble Bean. like The Humble Bean, but also it was going to be, like, cool, humble. Oh, God, I actually am so embarrassed about this. Like, it was going to be all lowercase and really cool tone of voice. And, like, I knew that Gen Z's love Kendrick Lamar and he's got that humble song. And I was like, this is going to float... And then I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't pull off this tone of voice. And at the start of a brand, you are the tone of voice and yeah. I am not cool. So I was like, let's just go for it and double down on, you know, being bold and being excited about beans. And then we kind of decided on Bold Bean Co. But I actually got a following on Instagram at that point. It was a very small following of people who loved beans. And they voted on things like the name. They voted on the packaging. They really were with me on that journey. And that was so fundamental from a point of, you know, me not not doing it alone and validating my views, but also... I felt like this community of people were really part of building that brand and they became kind of advocates as soon as we launched as well. That's such
0: a good idea. And also everyone always says that you mustn't just ask your really close family and friends because they're just going to tell you what they think you want to hear. So having that, even if it's a small community, having people that you can ask is so clever and making sure that the brand identity is true to yourself because, Pretending to be something that you're not is very exhausting. And you can only keep that up for so long. You need a full-time brand manager for that. Yeah, (laughs) easier just to be yourself. (laughs) I can remember the moment of holding the product in my hand for the first time and I think I I posted on Instagram saying I don't have children but I can imagine that this feeling is kind of akin to holding your baby for the first time and now that I have babies I actually do stand by that because the work that goes into creating the product it's so stressful it's such hard work and to actually see it in real life do you remember that moment really vividly?
1: I do I do it it was amazing and it was also (laughs) hilariously the label was like not as I oh no, imagined oh no. and in a business everyone knows okay you that, should... that doesn't happen with the baby okay you, yeah. think, it, you think it's perfect no matter what <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe there's a little <laughs> bit more criticism with the product but the label was like a little bit like shiny and not as high quality as I, I, I had envisaged now I've run a business you should sign off the label and get a proof and Obviously, I didn't do that because I was just too overexcited and got it. So I was was really excited. But then I was also like, oh, my God, no one's going to like it because of the label. And I think what you realise as you kind of grow is that you shift and evolve and things won't be perfect. But the core of what you are as a brand and what you're doing is actually what's most important. You can adapt those other kind of tiny things. Yeah, I think they're saying...
0: That I always think about is it done is better than perfect. So you can't let little things like that hold you back. And it's all just a process of moving forwards. Definitely. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often.
1: Well, it's, it's got to be beans, doesn't it? Because yeah, I always have beans <laughs> in the cupboard, and I would say there's like a few that I that come to mind here. One of them is miso beans. You cook butter and miso and whatever onion you have, whether it's a spring onion or a shallot, whatever, and then you pour in. I I like the uh, the white beans that we have, and you add the bean stock. So beans with some water if you're using canned beans and make this kind of molten, it's almost like a porridge, a miso porridge with the beans. And you have that as a base and then you load it up with whatever you have. So whether you have fresh greens, I always like a pickle. So like maybe some kimchi, maybe some chili oil or crunchy chili oil, that kind of thing. And it's so versatile because whether you have Eggs, greens, whatever you have in your cupboard its just a really great go-to. So I'd say that's the one I have the most often.
0: God, that sounds absolutely amazing. So good. What is your dream for
1: Bold Bean? Like, where is it going to be in five years' time? I've had to think about this a lot, and I think the main thing that I would love is I'd love people to reflect on on us as the brand that made people love beans. Um, I really do believe in brands making a change, and I, I think... Oatly was around the time of when I was coming up with the idea for Bulbino, Bean or just before, and I saw how Oatly had changed consumer behavior. A guy who I went to uni with who would have a bacon sandwich in the morning would have an oat milk flat white and then mac and cheese for dinner. It had no relevance to the fact that they were dairy free or anything, but they just wanted Oatly because it was like exciting. And I recognized that ability to change millions of people's habits from a brand Mm. and I think that's what really excited me is this opportunity to get under the skin of people's you know daily habits and we'd love people to be eating beans three days a week and that would be an amazing end result for us because the planet would be happier and also they're really good for you which I don't really go into much because I think that Health can convey compromise on experience, but they're incredible for gut health and where people live the longest, they're eating beans. There's so much evidence to show how good they are for you.
0: Which country in the world do typically
1: eat the most beans? Do you know what? I think there's a lot in... um, I don't know the biggest consumption of beans. Dan Bootner has done a study called Blue Zones and he has analysed where people live the longest and healthiest across the planet and Mm. he recognizes a few different commonalities between what they consume and one of them is beans because Mm -hmm. um yeah so whether i think it's a village in italy somewhere in japan somewhere in mexico and they all eat beans and i think that is just such a testament to the role they play in health and happiness you've said
0: that one of the hardest bits about your job was being ghosted by supermarket buyers and oh my goodness that brought back a whole load of memories for me because I once drove all the way to Ocado HQ. I'd spent months trying to get hold of the buyer, just never hit anything back. So I thought one final plan of attack would be to bake her some homemade banana muffins. I brought this like beautiful wicker basket. I went to reception. I asked if she was available. She obviously wasn't. I left it at the desk for her. And then an hour after I got home, she messaged and she was like... Let's talk about a listing. I knew the banana muffins would do it. Then 10 days later, she leaves and a new buyer <laughs> yeah. comes in. And it, I mean, it's so destroying. So that's the worst bit or can be the worst bit of running a startup. What are the best bits?
1: I think the best bits are so small that things like I randomly got reached out to by a chef I used to work with and he was trying to set up an account with my old company. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I no longer work there. I've set up my own business. And I was like, oh, you might be interested in beans. And he's like, no way. I have these in my cupboard. <gasps> and that was like, oh, my God. They're not just buying them to be nice to me. He's buying them off his own back. And I think those tiny little moments of someone just saying that they love your product or that, you know, their kids love your product or it's changed converted their bean-hating husband, like those tiny little messages we get are what really lift you. The Sunday Times might feature you in a product shout out, and that is great, but actually the personal, like, impact that you have on people day to day is really what gives you fuel and excitement. Yeah, completely.
0: And I think people don't realise in sending those messages the impact of receiving that message. Like, it really can change your whole
1: week. Yeah, and it? the whole teams. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're now a team of five and everyone feels that. So it makes yeah, a big difference. So nice. Well, on to the sixth Desert Island dish. What's
0: your go-to dinner party dish?
1: Oh, okay. So... My go-to dinner party dish is I always like having something picky to start with. So I'll often um go to the local bakery and get some bread and some really good quality olive oil. And because when people come to my house, they always want the beans, I kind of sometimes get them <laughs> over and with a little bit, in the first course. <laughs> and there's this really cool bar in Paris called La Bouvet, and they do really simple dishes. Their whole concept is dishes that you can assemble whilst with a pouring glass of wine and not actually cooking sort of thing. And one of their dishes is um, serving good quality butter beans like our queen butter beans. Um, You serve them with olive oil, lemon zest and cracked black pepper and that is it. Mm. Um, And you serve it with some bread or with some crisp bread. And I always love doing that. And maybe I'll add some anchovies or something else to pick. But having that as like a real focus, they really help the beans shine. And um, I like it because it's a little bit different to um, a dip. And then main, one of my favourite... favorite recipes is Nigella's rump steak that she cooks and then marinates it afterwards Mm. in lemon thyme and garlic and lemon zest and it's it's all of the acidity kind of mellows the beef a little bit because I find steak a bit much sometimes and it's really really fragrant and lovely and I think it's really impressive and then I'd have that with some kind of Veggies, um maybe some crispy chickpeas or something crunchy, maybe some crispy roast potatoes. Um and then pudding. Normally I am lazy option, I just buy some nice chocolate. And that's a very
0: delicious option. On Desert Island dishes, we have a cookbook corner. So I'd love to know what is your most treasured cookbook.
1: Um my most treasured cookbook is Ossolengi's Plenty More. Mm-hmm. So it's a second edition. Um, and I had that in Madrid, actually. I was given it, I think, by my brother for Christmas. And I did almost all of the recipes from it. So it's got lodges everywhere and it's sticky. But I think that really opened up my mind to how beautiful veg-centric cooking could be. And yeah, he's just a master, isn't he? Yeah. The one and only. Well, on to the final
0: seventh desert island dish. What is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert
1: island? <laughs> Okay, so I would start with something fried. Um, I, I can't resist fried stuff when it's on the menu um with something pickled. So probably some croquettes um with like a pickled like radish salad. My husband makes amazing pickles and I'd chuck some of those in because they're very good. Um, that probably is a starter. And then for Maine, I would have um what I actually served at my wedding, which is slow-cooked um pork belly um really slow cooked and then crisped up in the oven so it's got that crunchy skin with creamy butter beans you know cooked with some white wine garlic a dash of cream um and then chimichurri so that kind of like acidity to cut through it all so you've got the cream you got the pork oh just definitely have that and then the pudding, I would finish with chocolate mousse because Ooh. I love chocolate mousse. I've tried every single supermarket chocolate mousse and none of them are actually good enough. I, don't think, I think there's a real gap in the market. Anyone wanting to start a food company, a have of a chocolate you know the mousse. the one that's
0: surprisingly good is the prep one? really yeah it's good to know yeah which i would never have picked it up and tried it until someone said not as good as a homemade one but surprisingly good but they are also very simple to make it's true it's true definitely (laughs) but this is your final meal so we're you don't have to make anything no we'll get you a prep one and you can see how you like it amelia those were your desert island dishes thank you so much thank you for having me (laughs) So there we have it another delicious day of desert island dishes don't forget that you can rate review and subscribe to the podcast on itunes it really does make such a difference i know everyone always says that but it does it boosts the show in the charts and helps others to find it which is great and means that i can keep bringing it to you each week if you don't already then do come and follow us on instagram at desert island dishes And you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at DesertIslandDishes.co. Thank you again to our season sponsor, Lloyds Bank, for sponsoring us. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.